This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with PositiveBrightMinds.com, an emotional decluttering and well-being tool, creative communication at its best. Hello and welcome back to the final episode of this year on this podcast. You're listening to your host Malini and in continuing with the theme of emotional intelligence, today I spoke to the EI guru Jim Rees and author of Vicious Cycles. I really enjoyed speaking to Jim about his numerous competitions from Ironman to triathlons to Race Across America that he has competed in. The level of resilience this man has is quite something and I thoroughly enjoyed reading his book as well. Jim is actually the only British rider to have finished the Race Across America more than once as a solo rider, which is amazing. And he's also written three other books as well as Wish Cycles, Maximise Your Mind to Power, Built for Greatness and a Quick Guide to Emotional Intelligence. I hope you enjoy this episode and have a great new year as well and see you back in 2022. Jim, you are the EI guru, emotional intelligence guru. How did your journey in emotional intelligence begin? Um, I'd say it began 22 years ago when I first uh, started coaching uh, for a company called Speakers International. They were a very successful company that back in the day, back in the sort of yeah 90s, yeah, 90s, I think it was, where they would invite speakers from around the world. So people like Anthony Robbins, uh, Brian Tracy, uh, amongst others, you know, so a whole load of gurus from America in particular, flew them across to the audience in the corporate world and uh, put on big events, you know, sort of uh, leadership events, mindset events. How did you come back choosing the name EI Guru? I like it. Uh, again, great question. Um, a friend of mine who's a psychologist who is one of the main people behind, main, main guys behind the emotional intelligence questionnaire that I use uh, 25 years ago, Joe Mellix. Joe and I are really close friends. And he was talking about um, the EI guru as, an, as a good idea for me to use as a um, title. Uh, purely because I lived and experienced quite a lot of life stuff, if that makes sense. So he said, if anyone is an EI guru, he said, you're you're sort of a good example of it, Jim. So it was a tongue-in-cheek sort of thought, but actually also it gives me a a real clarity around what I do for a living. So, you know, I'm that is what I do. And I suppose also just to add to that is the aspect of, Anyone that's a guru, we're all gurus, really, if you think about it, because a guru, basically the the idea, the understanding of my understanding of guru or what it means is that it's someone that sheds light onto onto darkness. So as a coach, um, that's what we do. We shed light onto people's darkness. You know, if they've got darkness, we help them see beyond it. How do you think you can change the view of large organizations for individuals? How can you convince them that this is an area that they need to invest in? Yeah, again, another great question. So um, I've recently um, employed a PR agency to help promote um, my business, but in essence, really promote the idea of emotional intelligence. And, you know, there are various articles. So I, I think it's a media thing. I think it's it just takes time. 
you know, the more we talk about it, the more that we post about it, the more that posts on LinkedIn, um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, in the papers, ideally, you know, in the in the big broadsheets, you know, in the in the Times, in the New York Times, all those things, and people writing about it, you know, so there, there are lots of people writing about emotional intelligence. So I think it it will gain momentum. It's just a little bit frustratingly slow for people that sit in in this arena. Emotions are something that people are very reluctant to speak about, um, yet they are the driving forces of so much. What are your thoughts on this simple understanding of emotions? EI, I get asked a lot about what what's your definition of EI. So EI really, in essence, is noticing your feelings. So a lot of people dampen down, they, they ignore their feelings. So they just sort of put, squash it down, push it away. But emotional intelligence is, or someone that is emotionally intelligent is someone that actually has the ability to notice their feelings, pay attention to it and give it uh, significance and understand where it's come from and then tweak their behavior to get a, a different outcome instead of having what I would call a hissy fit. If you see red and you lose control of your emotions and rant and rave at somebody, you know, can you actually then dial that back and start saying, okay, so why am I angry? Why am I frustrated about this situation? Why am I screaming at this person? Uh, Why have I just lost it? And then, as I say, dial it back and sort of almost pull on that thread and try and find what's caused it and then change your behavior as a result of it. How important is it to consciously, you know, release emotions and how do you go about it? It's, it's critical. It's, um, it's vital. Uh, there's a guy called Dr. Huberman uh, over from the States, and he's a neuroscientist. And he's, he's, he talks about our next evolution as human beings is to be able to manage our emotions. So how do you manage your emotions? Again, it goes back. The first step is about awareness. So awareness of how you're showing up. So um, you've got to be aware of how you're showing up. And unfortunately for a lot of us, myself included, uh, we run blind, we have blind spots. So we run patterns of behavior that we're not aware of. So it's about noticing what are those patterns of behavior. And you can't do it by yourself. You, you need help. You need a coach or you need a therapist to help you understand what are the patterns of behavior that are either running me or I'm running as a human being. So you don't think people can do that themselves by just having that quiet meditative time to go in and understand themselves? No, I, I genuinely don't. No, I, I think um, you can get so far, you can get to a certain level, but actually to, so, you know, you can't, certainly you cannot find your blind spots um, by just sitting down and meditating and, and contemplating what you think they might be because you don't know them because that's why they're called blind spots because they're blind for you. So they're subconscious and that's why people are not aware of them? Yeah, completely. You said that you've, you'd lived it and that's why you were shaped to become the EI guru. What do you mean by that? I'm, I'm English born. I grew up in Australia and um, I was adopted at 18 months. Old. I was then abused by um, a close family member and you know, 
that that in itself um, could have shaped me one way or another. So uh, I could have gone down a dark hole and I could have then been a victim for the rest of my life and blamed that circumstance. And it's not just one circumstance, but there are lots of things in life that shape us. So I think that was profound. Growing up in Australia was profound for me because I was a sporty uh, little chap and I was good at it. So, you know, that that fed my self-esteem, fed my identity. And I think that actually then continued throughout my life. You know, I then got um, involved in sports. I was pretty good at triathlon and then went into doing Ironman triathlons around the world and then competed in what is considered to be the toughest race on the planet, the race across America. Um, so all these things build your identity and a couple of marriages, unfortunately, um, or fortunately, you could say that, you know, that that was part of my journey. So a lot amongst all that, I've had the sheer joy of having four children um, in those two relationships. So I'm a parent. I'm I'm a human being. I'm a coach. I read a lot. So uh, I've immersed myself in lots of programs over the years, over the last 20 odd years. So I guess that's what Joe, my friend, was talking about when he said that, you know, I've lived this stuff and I've traveled quite a lot a around the world as well. So you've documented all of this in your book called Vicious Cycles. And I love the title because you're playing on words there and it's all about your journey as a cyclist and all the different competitions that you've just named Ironman, Ram, triathlons that you embarked on you've noticed a vicious circle that you are in you know going from one challenge to another to another what would you say was toughest when you were competing? First solo race that I did my wife then uh, was due to come out and meet me um, towards the back end of the race to support me towards the end of the race. I was really quite excited, you know, during the whole of the race, I was quite excited to be seeing her. Uh, unfortunately, because it was real touch and go as to whether I'd finish within the cutoff time, uh, the crew decided that actually it would be more of a motivation for me to, they had a conversation with my wife and they said, um, it would be better if you stayed at the finish line and almost like a magnet drew Jim towards the finish line to make him finish quicker so that he could see you. So I suppose that was quite a traumatic point for me. There were lots of um, lots of situations that were really tough, um, but n at no point did I ever consider that I wasn't going to finish within the cutoff time. So, you know, I, I had a real belief that I would finish the race and um, you know for myself for the family for the sponsors for the crew etc same year halfway across the race I ended up with um, neck issues and um, and couldn't hold my head up so yeah. that's very dangerous obviously on a bike and we had to the crew had to con construct a, um, a support um, to keep my head in place so that I could carry on cycling so I know pretty yeah, to wear a nickel re reading about that. What did it take for you to cycle across America? Because that is such an achievement to do yeah. that on your own as well. Yeah, so having done it three times solo, I was lucky enough to uh, do it three times solo. And then and then each year, so the first year I finished just within the cutoff cut time. The second year I did it, I was um, almost 24 hours quicker, so almost a wow. day quicker. And then the third time I did it, I was another 
I don't know, 10, 15 hours quicker again. So the last time I did it was my quickest time, of course. And I finished in 10 days and 20 hours. I think that race, actually, I finished six overall out of 42 competitors. So, you know, you must field of ultra cyclists that all come together from around the world. And I was sixth overall. That's um, incredible. Yeah. And, and, and of course, I was pleased with that. And I, I really, really, truly believed in myself. I might I may well have finished on the podium, but that's another story. But uh, within that race that year, I the nearly 11 days doing the race. I took a total of 13 and a half hours sleep. And I think that's that's the thing that actually makes it one of the toughest races on the planet, because you are sleep deprived and you do hallucinate a lot during the race. You know, after about day three, day four, you've had very little sleep and you're exhausted and you're physically still riding a bike. You've got a lot of miles in front of you and you've got a lot of weather conditions and, and live traffic to deal with. How on earth did you motivate yourself to do that three times? Yeah. And was that consecutively? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was consecutive. So it was 2007, 2008 and 2009. So... That, and and a, good, a good question, a lot of people, and you're, you're sort of asking it really, which is, you know, what, what motivated my why? My why was I wanted to inspire other people to believe in what was possible because I, I don't see my, I'm not an Olympic cyclist. You know, I'm not a professional cyclist. I'm a, a sort of a typical general average club cyclist. I'm a guy that's got a ridiculously positive mindset. So you know, I can ride a bike, but actually I've got a mindset that actually if you couple that with someone that's relatively good on a bike, which I'd say I'm relatively good on a bike, the unstoppable mindset, then, you know, anything's possible. So I think it was that. And, and so I wanted to inspire kids and other people around the world to believe in what's possible. We, we genuinely do only scratch the surface of what's possible in our lives. So it's that that sort of drove me and, and, and is really my why behind why I do what I do. The Ironman and triathlon competitions, were they equally tough or were they tough in different ways? Yeah, actually tough in different ways, Malini. They were, um, you know, they're done over, you have to finish an Ironman triathlon within 17 hours. So that's the cutoff time for an Ironman triathlon. So that's swimming 2.4 miles, cycling 112 miles, and then running a full marathon all consecutively in, in within 17 hours. And they're done all around the world. And the world championships are held in Hawaii every year in October. And, um, and in essence, uh, basically, you have to be fit, obviously, to do any of these things. Um, and they have different levels of fitness. You've got professional athletes that actually, you know, that's what they do for a career and that's what they do for a living. Uh, it's you know amateurs you know sort of what we call weekend warriors like myself that uh, compete in these sort of events so my fastest Ironman time is 10 hours uh, 30 minutes 29 minutes and um, you know that was in a race I did in Frankfurt many years ago you know they range you know the the quickest Ironman time uh, times are now below eight hours which is just insane because they're they're swimming in 45 minutes you know 2.4 miles in 45 minutes they're swimming they're riding their bikes 112 miles in around about four hours 20 minutes which is scorching hot and then uh, they're running a marathon in two uh, two and a half hours which is crazy for yeah. 
given that they've done all those other things, you know, so. So your book also has some really great pictures in there of all your different competitions across the world that you've competed in. And you can see the high that you are on when you came to the end of each one and the medals and the glory behind it all. And you can really capture that emotion from those pictures. Mm. Also, reading between the lines, it did sound a little bit, like you were using these competitions as a way to put all your emotional baggage into childhood. Would you say that element of that? Oh, uh, that was that was a massive element of uh, why I was doing what I was doing. I was my inner child was screaming. You know, I I was using that to um, dampen down the emotional turmoil, um, the awkwardness as a little boy, um, not being able to sort out. You know, a proper uh, within some of the relationships that I was in. You know, either with my kids or with my partners at the time. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's weird, isn't it? You know, here I am as a coach, and and it's very easy to coach others, but actually to and this is quite tricky to sort it out yourself. You know, me coaching me, I'd let myself off the hook or I'd go and do another race to sort of <laughs> so that I don't have to think about it or um, talk about it. So I think that I, I set myself up. So that was a blind spot for me. I didn't realize I was out. And I, I also was mangling myself physically because I thought I deserved it. You know, my, you know, from the abandonment and the abuse and you know all that stuff as a as a little boy I thought I wasn't worthy of a, a, a loving relationship you know self-rising uh, certain situations yeah and it sounds like it was a really good distraction when you're focusing on something like this you put all your you know tunnel vision focus so you can block out everything else in your world yeah uh, to realize it was becoming a vicious cycle looking out everything else and then potentially that damaging relationships and whatnot yeah it was um it was actually um it came to a head with the second marriage ending and the realization that actually okay so values misalignment so myself and my ex we our values just weren't aligned you know so i was attempting for business and create momentum around my business by going and doing this extreme race that you know considered to be the toughest race on the planet so doing it once wasn't you know didn't whet my appetite and I thought it would be a better story and a bigger story if I'd done it again and went faster and if I was to do it and then I get a, I got addicted to it so um, you know and we all have addictions you know so I was addicted to that pattern and uh, I wasn't aware that actually it was completely creating chaos in my personal life, an arm and a leg. And, um, and that was one of the reasons that, you know, the second relationship um, fizzled out because financially, um, we were, I, I put the family under a lot of pressure financially pursuing a goal that I thought would then eventually yield. Um, it, it's, it, I've corrected that now. And that pattern's um, been sorted. So would I attempt? Yes, I'm, I'm going to certainly be racing in Ironman triathlons next year. Uh, Best. Going back to do the race across America as a crew chief. So I've done that. Uh, I've done that twice already. I've supported other riders. So there's a British guy, Simon Potter, who is um, a really good cyclist, a semi-pro cyclist. 
who is training for next year's race across America, which is uh, next year is the 40th year uh, existence um, for the race across America. So Simon is an extremely competitive cyclist and I, I'm the crew chief. So I'm taking, I'm basically the team leader. I'm responsible for Simon's well-being and also the rest of the crew. So we'll be taking nine other crew members across to America and competing in next year's race. And, we're, and you know, I'm quite excited about that because I know Simon um, has got the potential to be, with it, without a doubt, he's got the potential to be in the top three. And striving for in all your championships. So hopefully, you know, you'll you'll make it this time to that. Yeah, it will be such amazing camaraderie between the in the well. Oh yeah, within a crew for sure. It's um, it's not a road trip. It is actually really hardcore. Um, again, you know, you're getting very little sleep and you're sleep deprived. So um, the the one that has the hard work. Uh, although you know, a lot of cyclists would say that it's easy for us. We just we're doing what we love doing. So we're sat on the bike riding our bikes. The team are all around you like little busy bees, taking care of your every need. You know, if you want you want a certain snack, they go off and and get it for you and then hand it up out outside the, the car window uh, while you're cycling along. So um, I think it is easier being the rider, uh, although obviously physically exhausting. Uh, crew, additional, lots of lot, lots of, of sort of shared during the race um, because it's just so stressful and people get really upset and emotions are high. It's quite good. crew chief, not riding. Um, but actually taking care of the team yeah. is really, really my, my world, you know, as a coach, I've got, I've got a lot of skill tools in my, up my sleeve to help people navigate their stress, manage their stress, motivate them um, more so than a lot of other people might have. So yeah, the mentor role that you like to hear all about vicious cycles and the work that you do and your, all your different challenges. It's been a privilege to have you on here. How can people contact you? Hello and welcome back to the final episode of this year on this podcast. You're listening to your host Malini and in continuing with the theme of emotional intelligence, today I spoke to the EI guru Jim Reese, an author of Vicious Cycles. I really enjoyed speaking to Jim about his numerous competitions from Ironman to triathlons to Race Across America that he has competed in. The level of resilience this man has is quite something and I thoroughly enjoyed reading his book as well. 